The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated and the children may be released to their time of ministry. Check, 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 check. Good morning. Check, 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 check. There we go. There we go. Sweet. So I love this sermon slot because it is the first word of reception of the word of God for 2024. And I think in some ways, uh, this has the potential to set the course for 2024, for the way that what we expect God to do in our lives, what we're excited about, how we approach him. So think of this sermon this morning. We're gonna be in our Ephesians passage that Johnny read for us. Think of this sermon as sort of a companion sermon to Cameron, his sermon last week, which was basically about communion with God. How do we go deeper into communion with God through prayer. Uh, Appropriately, let us pray. Father, your words to us are are sacramental. They, They reveal to us who you are. And your word is precious. It is our connection with you. It shows us what you're like from our Ephesians passage this morning, from our gospel passage this morning. We see that you are a loving father who has intended always out of your great love to bring us back to you. We see that you, and through Jesus and through this, the, the story of his baptism, you call us sons and daughters with whom you are well pleased. And Lord, I ask this morning that you would, you would shape us at the beginning of this year, that we would live more fully from your story that you'd show us what other stories compete for our allegiance and that you'd reveal to us the ways we need to step deeper into your story. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me ask you a question this morning. I'm gonna start with a question. Is something wrong with the world? Yes. And a second question, what is it? And a third question, how do we fix it? When I was doing missionary work on college campuses. These were the questions that I would almost always ask students. And unanimously, it was also the only question that got a unanimous yes. The question, is something wrong with the world? 
Nobody can look around at the world and think to themselves, yeah, everything is exactly as it should be. And yet, and yet, we don't agree on the answer to the other two questions. There are many answers to the question. We experience something as fundamentally wrong. 2023 was a year that we experienced a lot of brokenness in the world at large. Things broke, peace broke. The war in Israel has us feeling the sense of brokenness. The war in the Ukraine. Wars, rumors of wars, as Jesus is talking about. There's a sense in which we're aware increasingly that something is broken. And not just out there, but also in here. We experience it in here as well. We feel it in our own lives. There's parts of us that feel stuck. Maybe parts of our lives where we can't seem to get traction. Maybe there's a particular area of suffering or struggle and that we just can't seem to get through. We feel this brokenness. We know we need, or at least we long for change. And that longing, friends, how you respond to that longing, how you answer those questions, what is broken in the world and how do we fix it? That tells me, and that will determine for you, what story you live from. What story you live from. There are many stories. We're going to talk about one right now. Uh, Because in the Barnes and Noble section, the self-help section at this time of the year is the most populated section of the store. (laughs) Have you been to the Barnes and Nobles on Colonial? It's magical. If you like books, it's huge. There's an escalator. It's pretty wild. My kids and I, we love to go. They, in fact, they ask for gift cards to Barnes and Nobles. How random is that? Um, because they just love going in the store. There's something magical about it. Uh, books, obviously for all of us, a lot of us feel that, that books hold the potential for newness in our lives. And so when, when I went into the store a couple weeks ago, the self-help section was basically bursting at the seams with people. Why is that? Because naturally the new year is a time to sort of make resolutions, to resolve to be a better me, Right? Does anybody else feel that? Does anybody else sense that? It's easy for us to be drawn into this narrative of self-help. And why is that? Why is that easy to be drawn into? Because I think it is because fundamentally, there is a story that we are told and that maybe, just maybe, part of us believes that we are fundamentally good, that all it requires for us to really experience the fullness that we long for, the abundance in our life, is just a few tweaks of a dial here, maybe a little dial there, maybe a push a knob here, and then we'll be golden. If I could just figure these few things out, all of the the tension and the strife and the friction in my life would go away, and I would no longer experience that sense of longing for more. Uh, There is a, a story that says we just need a little spiritual cardio to get our hearts back in shape. Anybody else heard that story before? We see this, my wife and I see this in parenting all the time. There is a very popular parenting philosophy right now that says, just believe in your kids because they're fundamentally good. (laughs) They're fundamentally good. And shockingly, the person, many of the people who say that actually have kids, (laughs) which is just blows my mind. Ted Tripp in his classic shepherding uh, a child's heart. If anybody's ever heard that, that, heard of that book, he says that, My job as a parent is not to treat my kids as fundamentally good. It is every day, in every way, to show them the brokenness of their lives and the sin in their hearts and point them to their need for a savior. Every day, I'm going for the heart. But what story I live shapes what I'm seeking to do in their lives. The gospel of self-help is just one story, but it is a lie that will 
leave us perpetually frustrated and stuck and broken. There are many other stories. Um, Everywhere we look, we see people turning to alternative stories. Uh, Whether that is uh, the story that, oh, if I just tweak my body in certain ways, then I will be who I truly feel like I am inside. There's a story that says, uh, man, I'm, I'm fundamentally who I am as a victim. And everything about my life, if I could just get the power, I would make things right. That's a powerful story, especially for those of us who've experienced deep suffering. Is it not? There's another story, a story of achievement. Many of us refer to it as the American dream. And this story is that, man, if I could just get over the hump in this rat race or this competition, I would finally, finally experience the life that I've always wanted. Friends, in in all my years of ministry in New York City, I can tell you the people at the top are just as broken as the people at the bottom. So let's go back to our original predicament. We all agree that something's wrong in the world. But what is it? How does it get fixed? Let's look back at Ephesians chapter two. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We're gonna start in verse one. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Austin, will you turn that mic off for me right there? Just flip the switch on that mic. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Paul says here, you were dead in your, trans, in your trespasses. So the Greek word for flesh in this passage, sarks, it refers to the sinful state of human beings, the fundamentally sinful state of human beings. And it's often presented as a power that is in constant opposition to the power of God at work in us, the power of the spirit. Friends, I wanna tell you, this is our story. From the moment that Eve reaches for the apple, from the moment she reached for the fruit, she had already believed and committed to a different story. One that says, I, trust, I no longer trust God to tell me who I am and show me the way. Yeah. It's up to me to determine what is right and what is wrong. Where I go, who I can be. See, people, mankind still have the same longings that we were always meant to have, but we're fundamentally broken and we're beset by a terminal disease called sin. It starts in our hearts, but it slowly and surely spreads to infect every area of our lives. Friends, this is not something that needs a few tweaks. We don't need spiritual cardio. The gospel is really clear that what we need is a heart transplant. C.S. Lewis says this, nearly all that we call human history Money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, class systems, empires, slavery is just the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. The truth of our story is that we are far worse and things are far worse than we could possibly imagine. But, and this is a really important but, but we are far more loved than we could dare hope. Look at what Paul says in verse four. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. Everybody say rich in mercy. Rich in mercy. 
See, this is a really key phrase, rich in mercy. God does not have a finite reservoir of mercy that he doles out sparingly because he's afraid he's going to run out. God is rich in mercy. His coffers of mercy overflow. There is no end to his mercy. And this is the God that, that is in charge of our story. This is the God who wants to bring redemption from our story. And oftentimes we approach God as if his mercy is going to run out, like we've used the last of it. Has anybody ever approached the father that way? Father, I know I messed up again. And last time you forgave me, but I'm, I'm worried that I've, I'm on my last leg. I'm on my last try. This is my last strike. But this is not the God that we serve. Psalm 103 says, as far as the east is from the west, so great is his love that he's cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. This verse says, because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our trespasses. So the good news of our story, the good news is that our deadness is not the end. It's not the last word. It's not the final page of our story. It's just, it's just the beginning. Because God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. He says this, it is by grace you've been saved. Verse six, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Everybody say riches of his grace. Expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. Friends, our story is a story of abundant mercy and abundant love, overflowing, covering all of our sins, all of our trespasses, and washing them away. See, the story of the cross, this is, what, this is what this passage is telling us. The story of the cross is actually the story that we long for. You see, Jesus' death was the finality that we deserved. And we all fear that finality. One poet says, death is the great frontier. None who cross can tell us what it's like. We all fear it. And Jesus' death was the finality that we deserved in our sins but his resurrection is the permanence that we long for. Yes. Listen to this. Ronald Rollheiser says, the resurrection tells us that it is never too late. Every so often, we will be surprised. We must believe that the stone will be rolled back and we must be ready to poke out our timid heads, take off the linen bindings of death and walk free for a time, breathing resurrection air. In this life, all our symphonies remain unfinished, save one. Jesus said, it is finished. The, the resurrection of Jesus was the seal on our stories that God promises to bring good out of our brokenness. The brokenness goes far, deep, far deeper than we could possibly imagine, but God's love is far greater than we could dare hope. That is our story. So how then should I live? This is the question. The question that goes all the way back to the beginning. So what is wrong? We know that there's a brokenness called sin. How does it get fixed? And we know that the answer to that is Jesus. But how then shall I live? Maybe I've known Jesus for a long time, but there's still these places of stuckness in my life. What does that mean for this year? What does that mean for right now? And I say to you, the answer is 
go deeper into the true story. I'm going to give you a couple examples. For it is by grace you've been saved, Paul says in verse 8, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See that the verse 9 and 10, 9 uses works to show that it is not by works that we earn, that we earn anything from God. It is the overflow of his rich mercy. But verse 10 says, we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So what is this juxtaposition of works that doesn't earn, but works that, that actually fulfill and flow out of the fullness that God intended? Well, I wanna tell you this morning that grace is not opposed to your effort. It is opposed to earning, but it is not opposed to effort. Grace not only frees us from sin, but frees us for, hear this, it frees us from sin, yes, but it also frees us for the kind of life that we've always longed for and the kind of life that God designed us to live. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and life abundant. Friends, that is a promise. Jesus does not make promises lightly, does he? That is a promise from him to you that there is more. There is more for you. This is an important passage, so bear with me. This is from Romans 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who's died has been set free from sin. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, listen to this, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who've been brought from death to life and every part of yourself as an instrument of righteousness. And this is the promise. For sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law, but you're under grace. What does this passage mean for us? It means that in the areas of our life where we know that we're struggling or we're broken or we're stuck and we need traction, there is hope. And what is that hope? It's taking those parts of us, those parts of us that feel stuck and saying, God, I recognize that there's more for me in this area. I recognize that there's more that you have for me in this area of, of the way that I handle money or the way that I deal with my relationships or the way that I relate to my in-laws or my sexual addiction or the, the way that I uh, experience my coworkers. There's a gap there between what I long for and what is available for me and what I'm experiencing in my life. And so Lord, I wanna ask you for grace. I wanna ask you for help. It's a renewed commitment to go deeper into the story that you cannot self-help your way to the life that you desire, friends. Henry Cloud says this, grace that leads to true life transformation is one of unmerited favor. The understanding that God is truly for us and that he will provide what we cannot provide for ourselves. Grace means that we receive the gifts that we need for growth to occur. We don't willpower our way there. Henry Cloud says that. And so I know there's a few of you in this room that are saying, yeah, but I've tried that. 
I've tried that and I still feel stuck. Well, friends, I'm telling you, the story of the gospel is that if you don't give up, you win. Because death does not get the last word. Brokenness and struggle in our lives does not get the last word. The enemy wants you to believe that, okay, I've struggled with this for one year or five or, or 10 years, so there's no hope for me. But the story to go deeper into is this story. It's God's story that there is hope for you. There is hope for you. Re, double, double down on your commitment to say, God, I don't care if it's until my dying breath. I will not let sin reign in my mortal body. Because you promised me that I'm not under the law, that sin shall no longer be my master, but I'm under grace. It's recommitting yourself to the true story. Saying, God, this is a new year. And I'm going, to re- I'm going to reopen my hands in this area of life that I feel like I've clenched. And say, Lord, have your way with me. So a question for you to ponder. What areas of life are you trying to hero or bootstrap your way towards a better you? I love that phrase, bootstrapping. It's just kind of funny. Have you noticed, for instance, a gap in your parenting? That's good. Notice that, the gap between the parent I am and the parent I long to be. But are you responding to that longing, that gap, by trying to to pull yourself up in your own strength? Uh, I'm going to use this example because it's one that my wife and I talk about, to being the mom that you've always longed to be or believe you need to be. Maybe if I just follow this other Instagram account that has these other tips on how to be a good mom and I can apply them in just the right way, you know, tweak a few dials here and a few dials there, maybe then I'll become the kind of mom that I long to be. I would say that that is believing uh, in the self-help story. It's not trusting in the story of the gospel. I'm gonna give you the formula right now. It's this, Lord, there is an area that I long to change. With open hands, it's saying, I know this area of my life doesn't align with your best for me. I want more, Lord, I want more. Help me. This is the prayer, as Cameron taught last week, that ignites every grace-filled gospel transformation in our lives. Then I would say, ask your other friends who love Jesus to walk alongside you in a renewed way this year. This is a good chance to plug our discipleship circles. Friends, we go deep together in discipleship circles. And if you, if you are longing for a group of friends, co-journers, co-warriors, and co-laborers in this journey of grace-filled, gospel-filled transformation, start a discipleship circle. We will, we will empower you and teach you how to do it. Uh, to, to piggyback on what Cameron taught last week, make space to commune with God. If you wanna go deeper into the true story of your life, if you want to take the power of defining the narrative of your life away from the enemy, because that's ultimately what happens, right? We experience setback and loss and pain. And the enemy comes and says, do you see, it's because that you'll never, you'll never measure up. You'll never get there. The enemy is always seeking to define the narrative of our life according to his story, not, not God's. So I'm gonna say this, make space to commune with Jesus in prayer. As Cameron taught last week, even if it's just an extra 10 minutes, three times a day, start with five, start with two and a half. But whatever you do, start and make space to hear from God and let him align your heart with the story. Pray the prayer that I just, that I just walked you through. Lord, I need help. There is more. Help me. 
One author says this, you must try to pray so that in your prayer, you open yourself in such a way that sometime, perhaps not today, but sometime, you are able to hear God say to you, I love you. These words addressed to you by God are the most important words you'll ever hear because, and hear this, before you hear them, nothing is ever completely right with you. But after you hear them, something will be right in your life at a very deep level. We need to posture ourselves to hear God say to us, I love you. This is your story, Nick. This is your story, Johnny. I love you. I loved you before the foundation of the world. You're my child. The richness of my mercy is for you. And we need a fresh reminder of hope. And we'll end with this. So maybe right now it's not so much a struggle as it is an area of suffering. Maybe there is a deep brokenness, an illness or affliction that has beset you. Maybe you're having a hard time making sense of it in your story. Maybe you're having a hard time making sense of how these dots connect, that God really is for me. He loves me when this is happening. Friends, I tell you, that's a really real experience. And and when those moments occur, we need a fresh reminder of hope. And so I'm gonna say, I'm gonna read this passage out loud and I want you to let it wash over you. I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes and open your hands. Remember the ending of our story, friends. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation that the children of God will be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit of God groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For it's in this hope that we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will, br- who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God 
and is also interceding for me and for you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. 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 Cameron, I'm gonna invite you up to lead us through prayers of the people. Before we do that, if you would just um, bow your head for a moment. I want to take an opportunity to, um, as I'm sitting here and digesting this word, just feeling like the Lord may want to minister um, to some individuals in this room. And so if you just desire, if you were um, were just touched by that gracious word in the pulpit this morning, and you know that you need to receive that grace in some area of your life, whether it's to persevere through suffering, to break an addiction, to draw closer to you, God and then the prayer closet. So you have kind of put your hands out in front of you in a posture of receiving. I want to pray over you that the Holy Spirit would come to minister to you right now in this moment. So Lord, you know all the needs.